Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. We welcome you to Front Row Knowles. Tom and Keith with you. Not together, but together on the show. KJ is in Charlotte with the basketball team. Keith, how are you, sir? Wasn't there a Peaches and Herbs song about that way back in the day? Something like that. I, I feel like uh, we coexist. Tommy, doing great. And, and I tell you, obviously, uh, the game of basketball is played indoors, but uh, you could play it outdoors in Charlotte today. It's about 55 degrees, sunshiny. I mean, Charlotte has just rolled out the red carpet, including the, the weather, at least uh, on this particular day. Well, I'm glad that that part is good because as good as FSU is, uh, you don't really get the red carpet treatment, even with a double buy when you potentially have to go Virginia Tech, Virginia, Duke, or Carolina, right? The road to Saturday is going to be very, very difficult. Should Florida State get there, they will certainly have something to be proud of. We've got a great show coming up. Uh, the sixth man of the year in the ACC is going to join us. <clears throat> That's Fiondu Cavangali. He'll join us next segment. Our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us. We'll talk uh, all things Florida State. And, uh, Keith, let's bounce back to basketball in a minute. Uh, I guess I should point out, by the way, the baseball team got destroyed last night. Uh, um, we won't admit that. We're not going to talk about it now, but we'll get to it later. Um, I do want to start with football, though, in light of the fact that for all our concerns about a quarterback, this is the way the conversations went. And I'm, I'm loosely paraphrasing from what I feel I've heard in conversation since the Florida game, Keith. General consensus, FSU fans don't want DeAndre Francois back as quarterback. So he's not back He's not back as quarterback, but now we're unhappy because there's not depth at quarterback. Also so, agree. So now there's depth at quarterback, and people aren't happy at who the depth is in that Alex Hornerbrook is coming in now, and he doesn't necessarily fit the Bryles system. So I guess what I'm saying is we just can't be happy. <laughs> well, uh, our, we'll start educating our listeners because if you go and look, at any of the available footage on YouTube uh, relative to, um, you know, teaching clinics and that type of thing, you're not going to recognize any quarterback that played under the Bryles system under other than RG3. Everyone else is unknown. Number two, they fit all the different sizes. I mean, Alex is six foot four. They've had a six foot four quarterback at, at, at Baylor under Bryles system. Um, the kid from Louisville is 5'11", 6 foot. They've had one of those. Uh, they haven't had anybody as skinny as Blackman, but no one else in, in Major D1 college football has either. The point being, the quarterback position is a position of facilitation in the Bryles system. You don't have to have a Winston. You don't have to have a Winky. You don't have to have a Ward. You have to have someone that can make decisions after the snap and get the ball in the hands of playmakers. And all of these different body types kind of are immaterial. Uh, certainly you worry about Blackman from an injury standpoint. Certainly you worry about Alex because there's been a couple of games, though his record as a, as a starter was phenomenal with this Wisconsin. There are a couple of games he didn't shine well, and he does have the concussion issues. But we'll learn and we'll help educate our, our listeners so that they will learn that we've got four kids that will be there come August. At least three of them will be eligible, maybe even four. And what we were worried about, I think we can worry much less about 
uh, come time to actually suit it up for real. How about that? I think that sums it up. To me, if you want to drill down a little deeper, you have a question of, okay, here's Hornerbrook, who's, I get different system and different style of offense, but he's, at least he's been in the fire. So he's 26 and six or whatever his record was at Wisconsin. Is he a better option as a backup right now than a true freshman would be? Because that's really where this angst started was you missed out on Sam Howell and then you missed out on the kid that went to Maryland. Uh, and I would suggest the answer to that is yes. Without question, the answer is yes, because he is experienced, older, mature, can learn the system better, has been, as you say, under fire. Uh, the only the only negative on him, and I know you'll say this because I, I am one, is he's left-handed. Other than that, I think he's a good fit. My son's left-handed, too, so I'm not going to, you know, I keep his right arm tied behind his back in the hopes of his future pitching career, so I'm doing my part. <laughs> <laughs> That's the uh, the block household retirement plan. Uh, actually, it's not, but it is fun to joke about. Um, it'd be a short segment if we talk about the retirement plan, though, so let's continue talking about uh, sports here. Anything else on the football front, Keith? I just wanted to discuss that real quick because I, I, I guess my overarching thing is n- nothing is going to change people's thoughts about football until we see the product on the field again. And And I don't know what would get people excited right now, even if you took – 10 NFL Hall of Famers in their primes and they all announced they were coming to FSU, there still would be naysayers about it until they see the product on the field. Uh, I just, well, the I, opportunity I, to do that is going to be the spring game. And if Willie Taggart called me into his office and said, KJ, what two things do I need to make sure that this team demonstrates come um, April 4th, April 6th, whatever that Saturday is for the spring game? I would tell him this. Number one, to be able to run quickly without penalties and number two to see the running game start working even though we're going against our own defense and that type of thing i.e. to see this offensive line make a first good step in order to make the running game go if you did those two things then i think just about anybody that would leave doak campbell stadium after the spring game would be much 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 happier than they were when they entered the, the stadium I do feel bad that you're going to miss the spring game this year, uh, although not that bad because you'll be in the final four in the semifinals in, in Minneapolis at that point. Uh, so I'll re- you, you, you joke about that, but we've already had a conversation with the uh, Learfield IMG College folks and been told, at least Deckerhoff and I have been told, that if that were to occur, that we would in fact be in Minneapolis and uh, they would be calling in calling in the sufficient and wonderful A-team backup to do the spring game for us. So we'll see. I hadn't processed that, but I, I appreciate that. And now I'll make sure – have Deckerhoff do his depth charts, though, would you, and send them to me before he goes to <laughs> Minneapolis because that makes life a lot easier. Um, so back to basketball. So the story yesterday, you know, the the all-tournament teams come out. And we're – you know, this is another thing, and this is not unique to FSU's fan base, but everybody believes the whole world is conspiring against – uh, us, whoever us is. In this case, it's FSU, right? So FSU gets nobody on the first, second, or third team, which if you don't have a Florida State bias or interest, I think you can look at it and look at the way the minutes are distributed and, and really make a case that when you play by committee, you're not going to have guys who statistics, statistically match up against other guys that are playing 34 minutes a game. That's a starting point. Would you agree? And that is absolutely a downside of you know, game by committee, as you call it. The, the, fl- um, 
the flip you side, just don't get enough time on the court to, to, you know, Terrence Mann is sitting there averaging twelve or thirteen points a ball game. If he plays another seven or eight minutes a game on average, gets up to around thirty three, thirty five, then he makes second team easily, third team at least. And unfortunately, Tom, the bias is not necessarily biased. It's it's a geographical problem. Well, hold hold on one hold on one second, then we'll get to that. So the, I was just going to say the the counterpoint would be if you watched Florida State play enough games this year, and you were voting, you would know that Cabin and Terrence Mann. Uh, there's not 15 players in the league that are more important to their teams than what those two have been to FSU this year. I'll, I'll just stop there. But now go into the geography of it and how the voting is actually done. Well, as I understand, and I haven't researched it completely, because I used to get to vote on the all-ACC team. Uh, I no longer get to do that because they, they revamped the system. And as I understand it, there are 50 selected sports writers and broadcasters that get to vote along with the 15 head coaches. So you have 65 votes uh, in that scenario. The downside is the vast majority of them, because of the geography, because of Tobacco Road, et cetera, et cetera, are not located in Tallahassee, Florida, or Coral Gables, or or other places that at, at times have had teams win the regular season or win the conference championship and still not have kids that were noted and selected. So you put the lack of minutes team uh, being playing by committee, uh, along with the geographic. Although, and there may be some psychological bias as well. I would I would concede that, but certainly it's much more geographic bias. Then you can at least reasonably begin to understand why the the teams are the way they are. The one thing that I take the biggest issue with is obviously FSU is known because Fiondu was the the sixth man of the year by a large margin. And, and rightfully so. But you didn't have Forrest on the all-defensive team, and you didn't have um, uh, you know, Chris Kamaji on the defensive team. And they should have been listed somewhere, even if you're not going to put them on the all-1, 2, and 3 team. To expound upon what you just said and try to put this into real terms, I don't know who on the FSU beat is a voter, but let's hypothetically say Ira Chauffel is, and I don't know if he is or not. Or, or Wayne from the Democrat. Uh, they see Florida State play at home. I mean, for the most part, nobody on the Florida State beat is traveling on the road to the conference games. And they only see FSU. Whereas if you are a beat writer for the Raleigh News and Observer, you are seeing NC State play, but you're also seeing them play Carolina twice if that's how many times they play you're seeing them play duke you're seeing them play wake forest so you just by that alone you're seeing eight and that's you know what you're doing for work you may choose to go to other games as well so you're just seeing a lot more of the teams that show up represented on the first second and third teams does that make sense the way i said that it does and and it's just the nature of the beast uh and that's you know if we if if we were the fifth school on Tobacco Road and we were located somewhere in that triangle and not in Tallahassee, then history would be different. Yeah, I guess going back to what you initially said, I do think there's there's some psychological bias, but I think it's much more geographical. I also think that if Fiondu Cabangeli played 35 minutes a game, or Mann did, they would be on the first or second team as well. I, the reality is in the old voting system, and we'll figure this, uh, we'll wrap this up, Keith, 
you know, I voted some years, but there's a lot of years I didn't vote because I just, I saw FSU play, but I really hadn't seen Boston College play. And so you get in this thing when you're a voter, you get an email with stats on all the all-conference potential selections. And what you end up doing is you put 20 sheets of paper in front of you and you go, this guy's averaging 16 points and eight boards, and this guy's averaging 17 points and nine boards. But the guy averaging fewer points, his team did better, so maybe I'll vote him second team. But I don't have Boston, you know, I don't have Virginia Tech represented somewhere, so let me put this guy here. It just becomes one of those games. And frankly, as somebody who didn't see enough of the games, I stopped voting. And I think there are plenty in your, your, um, uh, that think the same way you do. And uh, as a result, that's the reason they went to the change this year. Uh, and again, I, I apologize to our listeners if I don't have the mechanic exactly right, but I believe. It's the 50 plus 15, and those are the ones that vote. And I was just kidding about what I said, Keith. What I used to do when I voted is I took Florida State's starting lineup, and I voted them one through five on the first team, and then I put the next five guys on the roster as the second team. And if there were 15 well, on the roster, they don't let you vote anymore. well, that, that might explain it. Okay, uh, th- this really needs no explanation, but I will point out that Madison Social is the official game-watching site for FSU basketball road games. Conveniently, there's one of those tomorrow, Thursday, 2.30, ACC tournament, and um, if you wear Noel gear, your second drink is free. So they've got you covered there. I don't know if they will write an excuse to excuse the fact that you're leaving work early or uh, taking an extended lunch break to uh, to watch the game. But point being, go out to uh, Madison Social. Well, you'll be there, so you can just sign the note for them, right? I'll, I'll sign the note. I'll sign. Uh, do you sign it William Keith Jones or just Keith Jones? It's a WM, abbreviation for William, and then Keith Jones. Okay. By the way, Selection Sunday, Keith. Yes. Make sure you mention this. I don't know what it would take, and with due respect to Madison Social, it would take more than a $200 gift card, but they're – they are doing a uh, a shave your head contest. I don't know if it's a contest, but basically they're inviting people to uh, make their dome look like Coach Ham's. So you can go to Madison Social and, and get the close shave. And I don't know if everybody who does it gets a gift card or if you're entered in a competition. But I know there's a $200 gift card in, involved. And I'm just thinking to myself that I don't know what the price amount is, but if I came home with a shaved head, $200 wouldn't, wouldn't be enough to get me in the house, if you know what I'm saying. Well, all I'm telling you, Tommy, is just you need to be aware of that because there's there's two things that hair do, does. Number one, <clears throat> pardon me, it turns gray, and number two, it turns loose. <laughs> and I've seen your head. There's some gray, so I only know what the next step is. No, I understand. This is not me being reluctant. I'm just suggesting Laura's not ready for me to go there yet. So if you want to handle those negotiations and you can get it done before Sunday, then I'll be happy to roll up to Madso and uh, join the club. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. TBD, to be determined. Our sixth man of the year in the ACC, Fiondu Cavangeli, will join us next here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. (laughs) 
And we will get back to Keith momentarily. He's in Charlotte with the men's basketball team. And as we reopen the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, I'll remind you, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to the ACC's sixth man of the year, Fiondu Cabangeli, is on the line. How are you, Fee? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. How much more exciting is this time of year than sort of uh, when you roll the balls out in September? As you know, it's postseason time. Oh, it's definitely exciting. You know, to this point now, it's when I go home, so there's a lot on the line. And guys are prepared, and it's, it's a very exciting time to play basketball right now. So I'm really, I'm really happy to play. Can you see the 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 winner go home uh, mentality in terms of focus at practice and film sessions and all that? Is I mean, is that evident? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, every film session is detailed. Every practice is focused. Guys are locked in, constantly communicating about our opponents and ourselves. You know, there's a lot of great energy going around in our locker room and in our team, and guys are really connected right now. So it's really good to see and be a part of it. And I'm just really excited to play tomorrow and potentially win the ACC tournament. You led Florida State in scoring. You lead Florida State in scoring 14 points per game, but you come off the bench, and a lot's been made of this uh, in terms of conversation with uh, with Coach Hamilton, and, and he's pointed out that uh, part of this is to help you observe what's going on in the game and uh, you know, and 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 play more efficiently, I guess, to put it succinctly. Once you get out there, so uh, you know, in your mind, what are you processing during the first two, three? Sometimes it's to the first media break before you get in, and how does it help you once you actually are out on the floor? Uh, for myself personally, the first thing I look at is just the pace of the game. Um, I like to, like usually before the game even starts, the, our film sessions kind of detail how this team plays. And, you know, you never really know until the game starts. So the first thing I look at is pace to play. Second I look at is just the feel and where I can attack my spots. But the great thing about it is we have a lot of a great big and Chris. And when he gets the ball in the post, I'm able to see how they're guarding him and how when I go in, I'll see how they're guarding me. Also, you can kind of see how they're going to officiate, you know, what kind of game is it going to be. Is it more physical? Are the referees going to really, you know, be more strict about it? So those are the kind of things I see. And the reason this helps me a lot is because when I come in, I have a lot of great energy because I'm clapping. I'm talking on the bench. So when I come in, there's a lot of good flow when I come in. So I feel like I bring a lot of great energy, and that's why I feel like I'm efficient. As far as gauging how they're going to officiate, do you guys mm. – it's not always the same officiating crew, obviously, but, I mean, you have mm. the same ref a handful of times over the course of the mm. year and maybe the same crew. Do you guys chart that, you know, these guys usually call it tight, these guys usually uh, don't blow the whistle so much, or does it really just change game to game, even if it is the yeah. same officiating crew? Yeah, of course. I mean, the referees are really great in communicating with us, with us players, telling us, you know, what to relax, what to look for. They talk to us while we're playing in combat. So the referees do a good job. So it's really game to game about how we, how it's going to be officiated. So overall, it's been good. I mean, now since it's postseason play, you know, they're really letting us play. They're letting you know, the talent show, which is, which I really appreciate. You know, guys are able to get going. So, so far, it's been great. Let's go back a couple years ago to when you arrived at Florida State, or even before that. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and and we'll get to the basketball connection you have in your family here momentarily. But but when did you pick up a ball, and, and when did Florida State enter the equation? Well, I, I, I previously played football uh, when I was younger, my childhood, and then around fifth grade, um, I hurt my foot, and then my parents decided to switch over. So after my fifth grade year, I decided to play basketball, and I've been playing ever since. And the connection with Florida State started when? Yeah. Because you didn't have a uh, lot of big-time offers coming out of uh, out of high school. No, I had zero uh, offers when I graduated. So I went to a post-grad program called Don Bosco Prep, which is located in Crumble, Indiana. 
Um, because of the relationship that my coaches have with the Florida State University, um, they came down and they saw me play. Um, they like what they saw, and I'm very thankful for that. And they offered me a scholarship um, in, a, in a tournament, a weekend tournament in Chicago. And, and ever since then, you know, I, I just felt that that was the team for me, and that's why I chose to go there. So I've heard stories, and I don't recall necessarily seeing you very much the year you were redshirting. Although mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm at the games and I fill in for Gene sometimes. But but the word I've heard is that you were pretty raw at that point. And mm-hmm. so when you burst on the scene last year, uh, there was there was a lot of surprise, not just from FSU folks, but just even around the league. It, you know, is that accurate? And, and how far in your mind have you come since when you set foot on campus to what you were last year to what you are at, I mean, at present? Definitely, I, I do feel like I was I was raw. I felt like physically I was a bit behind. Um, I wasn't you know as tall or as big or as strong compared to the guys that we had before. And as the years went on, I just kind of focused on my body, my conditioning. And my freshman year, my main thing was just, just to find ways to stay on the court. And that was rebounding. So I felt that you know, I had a singular focus. My energy and my focus and my attention was towards that. And that helped my team a lot. So I felt like that kind of focus and that kind of energy and drive is what kind of helped my development. And as the years went on, I, I began to pick up more things and my skills got better whether it's my free throw shooting, my three-point shooting, uh, my post work. I'm getting a better grasp of the ball, pick and roll offense, and just finding my spots where I can make plays and also help others make plays. So stuff like that, as the years went on, kind of helped make my game better. How much of a growth spurt was there in terms of height and weight over, you know, I don't know, sophomore year in high school to the year you sat out at FSU to now? Um, My biggest growth spurt would have to be my sophomore year to uh, my junior year, and that my sophomore year, I was about six three, and then my junior year, I was about six six and a half, six seven, and then every year after that, it was either half an inch, one inch, until now, which right now I'm six ten. So from sophomore year to now, I grew seven inches. So you know, it, it's been steady. Uh, my whole life, but the biggest one has to be my sophomore and junior year. So is there some similarity with, you know, Jonathan Isaac who sprouted up and had more of a perimeter game and then all of a sudden he's, you know, trying to figure out the post game to match uh, the, the size and the growth? I feel like, because um, growing up I was always a guard, so I had a bit of guard skills to go with uh, my game, but as I got taller, definitely like the post, the post move and the post work kind of came a bit later. Which was a bit, I mean, it's a bit difficult and strange for me because in the post there's less space, you know, guys are moving. So that kind of transition from being a guard to a post player was a bit difficult. But after I kind of realized where I can take my spots and be aggressive and realize my strengths and weaknesses out of the post, my game just grew. All right. So let's talk about, uh, I guess it's Uncle Dikembe. Is, is mm-hmm. that right? So this is this is a talking point, and it's uh, among FSU fans. Uh, there's a, you know it's it's a bullet in the media guide, and so every time you watch an FSU broadcast, the announcers say, "Well, his uncle is Dikembe Mutombo." You know, it just becomes a talking point that we hear. So I'm curious, you know, is this uh, an uncle that you see frequently? Are you guys playing oh, yeah. pickup ball? I mean, has he has he helped I mean, hone your game? I mean, give us an idea of what the relationship is with him. Yeah, the relationship my uncle is just like any other relationship that, you know, a nephew uncle is great. It's it's kind of, it's almost fatherly. Like he gives me a lot of great advice off the court because before, you know, when I was as a, through high school and even through college, it was never really so much about basketball. Every time I came to see him, it was always just 
family, house, life. He was always great at organizing family reunions. And we ordered the house, whether it be holidays, summers, birthdays, and such like stuff like that. So I was always around them, even to this day. And now I'm in college. I mean, it's a bit difficult now because I'm in college and my schedule and his schedule. But we're always talking and texting and just the things I ask him most is just how to prepare, how to, you know, deal with certain things in a season and out of the season, whether it be slumps or hot streaks. And he gives me a lot of great advice about how to eat, how to prepare for games, the mentality for the have for games because he kind of been through it all. He's been to the NBA Finals. He's been a top five pick. He's been a franchise guy. So to hear stuff like that, I mean, I really it never really asked until I came to college because it was never about basketball. But before then, it's just about family, and he's been great about that. He's been great with my family. So it's really close to that I have with him. So what's the key? You know, what does he tell you in terms of this is how you become a great shot blocker, for example? This is how you, you know, this is what you need to do to control the possession after the block or something mm-hmm. like that. I'm, I'm sure it's not as easy as putting it into one sentence, but he's he was yeah. a master at it. I mean, the one thing, the main thing I always ask him is what's your mentality going into a game? That's, that's probably the main thing because a lot of times you, guys want to have a great game, guys want to play well for their teammates, but at the same time, they kind of, get in the way of other things, whether it be taking bad shots or, you know, ruining plays. So the main thing I asked him is how to prepare. And his response is just to have a an open mind and let the game come to you. Because a lot of times, you know, he always tells me that the game, your great game is already there. So it's your job to just play and get a rhythm and be a part of it and let it just flow through you rather than try to force the issue. So stuff like that has been helping me a lot because I feel like, you know, guys, I, I really want to play well for my team and sometimes you might, make the wrong decision, but if I just let things flow, uh, my game kind of comes comes in comes in one. So stuff like that has been one of the main things that helped me a lot. He'll obviously be a great resource for you as you get past the season, and I don't know if the, you know if a decision's made or when you're going to process the decision, whether you come back to FSU. But uh, you know what what is your timeline on that, and, and what are your thoughts at this point? Understanding you still have hopefully uh, into into April to play uh, this year. I mean, yeah, I mean. Um, just because of my success this season, I'm, I'm definitely grateful that I'm, I'm, I'm part of the conversation. But as of right now, I'm not really thinking about it that so much just because, you know, there's been times where guys before me have thought about it, and that's got in the way of the team's success. So, or you know, it's always going to be there for me. So it's my job to just focus on this team because this is the last time I want to play this group of guys. So when that time comes, I'll think about it. But until then, I'm just focused on my Florida State team. And to that end, what is different right now as you see the guys that uh, you know are, are in the huddle and take the court with you compared to a year ago at this time when you had a great run in the NCAA but uh, mm. you know didn't have nearly the success over the course of the regular season that you've had this year? Um, the biggest difference I would just say is just, um, I think that just comes with you know just our, our continuity and our, our, um, our togetherness. I feel like every year that I've been here, the group has got closer and closer and that only comes with time and I feel like Every time we've been in tough situations, whether it be on the road or at home, we kind of got closer. An example of that for sure is definitely how we handled road games this year. Um, previous years since I've been here, we've struggled on the road. And this year, I feel like this group has got much more connected and had an us-versus-them mentality, especially on the road, which is, I, I wasn't familiar with last year. because Just because, you know, it was a new group of guys. We lost so many great guys before. So stuff like that, just our connectedness, our focus, and our attention is what kind of, I feel, made us have this great regular season success. We'll finish up here, Fiondu. I mentioned you six-man of the year, and those honors came out on Monday. 
nobody for Florida State was, uh, you know, first team, second team, third team, and that's become a talking point that, uh, you know, what do we have to do to get some respect? Does that put a chip on your guy's shoulder, or do you really not care how that flushes out? I mean, you, you can look at it both ways. You know, um, one way you can look at it is we're Florida State and we win by committee. You know, there's no singular talent. I mean, obviously I had a great year, which I had fun, but all of us are together. Everyone is special in their own way, so – I understand how we don't have a superstar talent compared to other teams. The other way you can look at it is because we finished fourth in the ACC. We had our best regular season record in Florida State history, and people didn't recognize that. So, of course, you're going to have a chip on your shoulder going into postseason play. But the, the question you have to ask yourself is, will that get in the way of your team's success? You know, will you focus on not getting an award, or will you just to use that to your advantage, or will you just focus on winning the next game? So, I feel like with this team, guys didn't really care that much. We understood you know, we win by committee, uh, you know, we're together, so we don't have any superstar talent, so we weren't really worried about it. Our job now is just to focus on the next game, potentially win, you know, the AC tournament and, and March Madness. So it was okay. Uh, we understand that, you know, the voting is not always going to be in our favor, but we moved on from it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think if your team has the mindset you just described, that is the best case scenario. And if things go well, then on Monday, people will uh, that vote may say, you know, I, I probably should, uh, if I could vote again, maybe I should. But uh, you let the chips fall where they may. Hey, best of luck this weekend. It's been fun to watch your career grow, uh, not just this weekend, but also into the NCAA tournament. Thank you so much. All right, Fiondu Cavangeli, thanks to Chuck Walsh for uh, getting him on the horn from Charlotte. Appreciate that. Sixth man of the year, and boy, you talk about a guy who has grown leaps and bounds from a redshirt year to his redshirt freshman year to now his redshirt sophomore year. And if he comes back for another year and really uh, makes the same, even if he makes uh, a quarter of the growth that he's made the last two years but just polishes things up, it will. Uh, he will be on one of those first three all-ACC teams next year. There's no question about that. We'll come back, continue the uh, conversation. Uh, our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefeld is coming up, and uh, we'll get Keith Jones back on the horn from Charlotte. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, we once again open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline. We're wearing that thing out with everybody being in Charlotte, the uh, Earl Bacon Agency hotline, ensuring your future together. We say hello to our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. Hello to our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. What's up, guys? Everything good? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, everything's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's the middle of March, man. This is like, uh, it's like the Indy 500 around here. It is, which means that because of uh, complicated travel schedules and uh, work assignments, we're actually recording this session at 3.42 in the morning because of uh, Tim's – no, it's not quite that point. But as we're recording, we don't know who Florida State's going to play uh, in the quarterfinals in the ACC tournament. So we'll get back to basketball in a moment. Tim, Keith and I uh, opined about the, the quarterback room at Florida State, which now has another body in it. We'll let you weigh in based on what you've uh, – not that you would have seen them at practice, but you certainly uh, are aware of the news. So general thoughts? Yeah, 
Uh, I think it's a good thing. Um, you know, look, I think first and foremost, you had to get uh, some other guys in there, some other bodies in there, and and uh, he seemed to have, have accomplished that role uh, or accomplished that, that goal uh, in, in multiple ways uh, this spring and including recently. Um, in my opinion, I still think that, uh, you know, I would expect James Blackman to, to have the leg up, uh, be the starter. Uh, he's been in the system. Uh, he knows what he's doing and, and um, you know, it's, a little bit more comfortable both uh, in in the offense and also with uh, with his teammates, with his offensive line, receiver, running back. So, uh, you know, I still think he's in a, a you know really good position to to be Florida State starter. But uh, you know, a little bit of a competition and uh, you know a push from behind there anybody either. I don't want to uh, diminish Horner Brooks' career or skill set or any of that. Uh, and frankly, I was caught. I shouldn't have been. But I was a little surprised that the conversation immediately turned to sort of, well, that's this is among fans, to be clear. You know, that's all we can get. And and when you look at the situation, if you're a grad transfer, uh, you want to go somewhere where you're going to start. And if you're looking at James Blackman as an incumbent starter, this necessary this isn't necessarily the most attractive place. So, uh, to me, it's good that they landed a grad transfer. It's it solves a need, and and we'll just see where they land with Jordan Travis. Right, and look, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Is you sort of have to, uh, to walk a fine line there, um, because yeah, like you said, um, most of those guys who are um, are transferring, I mean, they want assurances, whether officially or unofficially, or even just sort of a you know a wink and a nod. I mean, you know, most guys, but that's, that's like you're going into what you want to be a ready-made situation, and uh, and Florida State, I think, by almost any metric, really kind of can't offer that uh you know i mean unless it's a really extreme circumstance and i don't, I don't think we've seen that um i don't think there's anybody uh any way you could guarantee uh a transfer quarterback that he would come in here and automatically start over james blackman i mean you know, i think if somebody comes and and you know beats him out that's one thing but but there's i don't know if there can be any type of assurance so okay so eliminate all the guys who want that assurance uh and it can't give um and then go from there so it's a pretty unique situation uh, for Florida State, I mean, I think a lot of times when you are in the transfer market, uh, it's because you need to replace a quarterback and sort of have an open competition um, that you can welcome a guy into. I mean, you saw when, when Florida State brought in Everett Golson a few years ago, that was the first year post James Winston. So it, you know, it, it kind of made sense. Well, this is a completely different circumstance than that. So um, as a result, you kind of had to play you know, your cards a little bit differently. Tim, a lot's been made. Our fan base has talked about that, that Alex doesn't meet the physical, you know, height, weight requirements of this offense. I've made the argument that that's not accurate in that there have been other body types that have run this Friles offense. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, that's kind of silly. Um, you know, to me, if anything, um, when, when, I think when this, this offense is running the way that it's supposed to, um, and not to diminish the quarterbacks, I don't mean to do that, but it's almost kind of a plug-and-play kind of situation. I mean, you know, a lot of guys, if you can – Make the right reads and, and do um, do your stuff the way they're supposed to be done. Uh, I don't know that your your height or your weight um, are, are necessarily as important maybe as, as other systems. Uh, so we'll see. I know it's that's a different system than uh, than what they run at Wisconsin, um, but I also don't think it's fair to uh, to write them off uh, as being able to do it or not do it uh, before you even see them try. And being one, I told Tom that uh, we're not going to write him off for being left-handed either. <laughs> exactly right. Tim, what else has jumped out at you since our conversation last week in regard to football practice, the new era, the spring practice, now that we're closer to the midway point? Uh, a few little things. Uh, you know, I I really like the uh, the second-year receivers. Uh, 
They've got some good ones that are a little bit older than that as well. You know, Tamari and Terry and, and DJ Matthews, I think, plenty of them um, this, uh, this fall. But I think in one year, you, know, you saw what, glimpses of what Keyshawn Helton can do last year. I think he's a really promising guy. And then you have three redshirt freshmen in uh, DeMarcus Adams, Jordan Young, and Warren Thompson. And all three of those guys, I think, have jumped out uh, at various points throughout the spring. I think Jordan Young's probably made the most plays that I've noticed. Um, it seems like he, uh, he he gets the ball thrown his way a lot, uh, whether, you know, regardless of, of which um, which offensive unit he's working with. And, and the guy, I mean, he seems to, to, to catch a lot. I mean, pretty much everything that's thrown his way, he, he just sticks to him. And, you know, I've seen him, I saw him the other day on, uh, I guess I think it was Saturday, he was lined up and ended up double-covered between two uh, veteran defensive backs and then going up over the sideline and, uh, and bringing it down and getting a seat. And just, there was one play in the spring, I get that, but uh, it was a pretty impressive moment for him, so... Uh, I think, you know, all of a sudden they have a really, really nice, uh, potentially a really nice receiver room uh, with some veteran guys there. You know what Terry can do. You know what DJ can do. And then I think you have a, a, a whole sort of um, crew of, of second-year receivers that are going to be sort of, you know, fighting and clawing their way to make an impact and get on the field. Um, and, and so far, they looks to me like they've all sort of answered the challenge. Am I remembering correctly that DJ and Blackman were roommates? I mean, didn't DJ have like ten catches or something in that one game that Blackman played last yeah, year? Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's right. I don't know if they still are, but I think at least uh, their first year they were. Point uh, point and, uh, point being, he did more in that game than it felt like he did over the course of the year with Francois. So maybe there's a connection there that elevates DJ's game there too. Yeah, I think there could be something to that. Keith, anything else on the football front before I just hand it off to you and leave the studio, take a break, so you guys in, in you know that are covering the ACC tournament in person well, can discuss we, it? I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't at least ask the open-ended question. What about on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, no, I uh, I, I think those guys look pretty good to me, uh, particularly uh, up front. I think uh, Marvin Wilson, you know what, what he can do, but I think he's having a really nice, uh, I mean this as a, as a compliment, a disruptive spring. Um, I think Corey Durden, uh, to me, I, I think I felt this play last year too, if I recall, but even more so now that he's getting more reps. I think Corey had a chance to be uh, really kind of a, a breakout star type, particularly playing next to, uh, to Marvin Wilson. I mean, he's a big, strong guy. Um, he seems to get pretty regular praise from Odell Hagens. You know what a tall task that is to do. Uh, and then also watching the way that he carries himself on the field and you know, tries to hold, hold his teammates accountable. He seems like he's really making an effort to uh, to assume um, you know, a, a bit of a leadership position, which is something Florida State needs, uh, particularly on defense, on defensive line, where you you lost Brian Burns, you lost Demarcus Christmas, you lost Frederick Jones. I mean, there's going to be, you know, a bit of a void of a veteran presence there, potentially a void of veteran presence. And, uh, and you know, I think he's, you know, just through a few practices, looks like a guy that's really trying to, to assume that role uh, and seems to be doing pretty, pretty well with it. Um, beyond that, uh, you know, I, I really like the um, – the, the way the secondary is shaping out, you, you got to remember that the Jaden Lars would be uh, safety uh, isn't doing a whole lot in practice right now. So I do think it'll look um, a little bit different. But uh, yeah, I think Asante Samuel, the guy who I think has just had a, a really good camp so far, um, you see him making a lot of plays. And, and you know, those guys, you know, there's, there's so much I think hype around uh, Tamari and Terry and, and take them. I'll make a lot of plays out there. But it looks like the DB sort of like they, they really sort of take pride in. And, uh, and defending him and, and you know, trying to frustrate him and give him a hard time, which uh, you know is a good thing because that's what's going to happen uh, this fall. So it's, uh, it's pretty fun to watch the competition uh, between the DBs and the receivers. For complete Florida State spring football coverage, go to Seminoles.com. Check out the latest from Tim. Normally, this is the point of the year, not just the program, but the point of the year where I would feel free to rail about the fact that the ACC tournament never leaves the state of North Carolina. But since it's been in New York the last couple of years and is only returning to Charlotte, I'll save that for another year. 
Keith, you're already in Charlotte. Uh, Tim, you will be there soon. Uh, general thoughts on on what we should expect from the FSU basketball team? KJ, why don't you start? Well, I, I think that ultimately, um, and again, we're taping early, so uh, our fans and listeners will know who Florida State plays on Thursday. But regardless of who they play, uh, I think they'll win that ball game, and then that sets up a potential quote unquote rematch with Virginia. And, and candidly, guys, I would rather play Virginia in the semifinals than I would, uh, you know, uh, North Carolina or Duke. I'd rather wait and save those for the finals should you ultimately get there. I think, too, if Florida State were to win on Thursday, uh, then that possibly puts them into a number three seed. And depending on who you talk to, you might very well put them in Jacksonville. And, and, again, whatever you need to do in Charlotte to get to Jacksonville, I think is Florida State's next best step. Uh, step. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, I agree completely. You know, it was interesting. Uh, some of the guys in Leonard Hamilton included were asked about uh, this tournament um, yesterday and sort of the dynamic of, you know, how do you go into this thing? Um, not to say that it doesn't matter, but you know, you're, not, uh, you're not fighting for uh, your tournament, you know, for a bit of the NCAA tournament. And, you know, I think there's a – a chance that you could improve your seating, and I agree with you. I also don't know. It'd be, I think it'd be hard to get uh, an improved seat either. But you know, one of Hamilton, and then you have to focus on him for a long time. It's not like you know, even sort of says like, man, I can't switch gears. I can't get into the mindset of you know, this tournament has less importance or, or isn't as uh, as in, you know as in, as as crucial uh, as it has been in years past. Uh, you can't allow yourself as a competitor to, to even kind of entertain that, and so they won't. Um, I think for a few things. One, I, I, I'm like you, I suspect heavily um, that it would be Virginia Tech in that game. And I mean, you remember that game here? It wasn't that long ago, just a few days. Um, you know, those teams, I think I think they respected each other by the end of it. But, man, that was a really, really competitive, really fierce, really chippy type of game. Um, sort of got the sense, at least in the middle, that they, they didn't really like each other uh, all that much. Uh, and so you know that Virginia Tech uh, is going to want to uh, to exact a measure of revenge given that they blew a 14-point lead. Uh, and Florida State, I think, you know, will have to respond to that challenge, and I think they will. I think I think just from a pure competitive standpoint, uh, if Florida State's on the floor with Virginia Tech, they're going to want to beat them regardless of what's on the line. Uh, so I think that's a, a, a you know a thing that, that plays in their favor. And I and you know I agree with you, Keith. Uh, one, I think Florida State's a little bit better than Virginia Tech, not a ton, but a little bit. That's a really good team. Uh, they're also deeper. Uh, we know Virginia Tech's rotations can go all that deep, and then don't forget uh, they will have played the day before, and Florida State will be fresh. I think that favors them uh, pretty well. And then, uh, and then you're right. I think if you can get to that semifinal, you're probably going to play Virginia, uh, an opportunity to to beat a top five team. I mean that that uh, that can catch people's attention uh, when you're uh, when you're trying to make any uh, last minute impressions for uh, for the NCAA tournament. So to me, it's a pretty great situation for Florida State. You uh, you have a uh, really good opportunities. To put yourself in potentially a better situation, and they could go to Jacksonville as a four seed. By the way, don't rule that out. There's some projections that happen there. If you have an opportunity to uh, to help yourself, uh, I don't know that there's anything you can really do to uh, to hurt yourself. I agree wholeheartedly. Agree. All I'm right. Glad we're in agreement on that. We ha- <laughs> we have to do this, uh, whether you agree or not. But I'm watching the baseball game last night. First of all, as I as I thought about the game beforehand. And Florida has clearly owned Florida State of late. And I'm thinking to myself, so what am I expecting tonight? And the thought that went through my head in light of the fact that FSU offensively with so many freshmen is a team that's going to strike out a lot. I thought, you know what? This game is going to be 2-1 and there's going to, we may set the school record for strikeouts tonight after flirting with it last year, last week. 
So lo and behold, of course, 27 combined runs. But but the bigger picture is uh, uh, Florida State was leading this game 6 nothing and lost 20-7. to So you can say that's baseball, which is what you have to do and turn the page. But you also just feel like Florida is really in Florida State's head because the thing – and I haven't watched a ton of FSU baseball this year, but they've been very good defensively. Last night the wheels fell off. Uh, the pitching fell apart. I mean, it just feels like they're, they're in FSU's heads. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, maybe that's it. I, you know, I don't know. I do think maybe to a degree this is where uh, we'd like to have had a couple more midweek games under your belt. Uh, you saw the, the first two were ended up not played. The first one they played against North Florida last week went down at the wire. He ended up getting the walk-off win. And I think so much of it is still kind of learning, um, kind of learning what you have uh, on your team and, and who you can kind of count on and, and who you can't. Um, obviously a difficult night for, for Austin Pollock. And I think that, uh, you know, Looking at the the way the game played out and, and the box score, uh, you know they were kind of content to you know once it kind of snowballed, they were content to leave him out there and uh, and kind of let him you know work through it a little bit. And I think the hope there is that you know maybe the the experience gained and the the you know, if, if there's persevering through adversity and and kind of working your way to the other side of it, you know maybe that's more valuable down the road than uh, than the result of the game on uh, on Tuesday night, but. It certainly it's frustrating. Uh, you know, we all know kind of the travail uh, that have, have befallen the, this, this team against Florida as of late, and to, to get up big and then uh, and then you know have it go the way that it did. I mean, that's uh, that's frustrating. And, and you know, big picture aside, and you know, long term goals aside, in the moment, that's, uh, that's tough. And guys, I hate to even bring it up, but my frustration deals with the fact that there's going to be a group of folks out there that say, "Say, look, look, can't beat Florida." Meets on that team. This is why we don't even need to consider him for the new head coach. We got to bring in somebody completely new, and that that just sends me over the wall. Well, if, yeah, yeah. Well, good. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say. So, yeah, that is the bigger discussion on it, and I and we're not going to get on into all this now. But when you look at uh, there's stories if you go back through Mike Martin's career about uh, you know is he making the, do, do the players play tighter is he is he uptight and makes them tight in situations like this but the way last night's game unraveled uh, J C Flowers hits a grand slam you're winning six nothing in Gainesville and you go to the bottom of the fifth inning so Mike Martin is not going to be uptight at that point if you subscribe to that theory and you get a ball hit to Mendoza that he's he should make the play on and it's an error. So that's one guy on base, not a big deal. Then the next ball is a comebacker that should be a, a double play. And you have the shortstop and second baseman not communicate. Nobody covers second. And by the time Scalaro throws to first, now you've got first and second, nobody out. And that, in those two batters, is when it fell apart. And I don't know how any of the coaching from the dugout or at that time would have impacted just those two plays back-to-back, if that makes sense. And I agree, Tom. I'm just talking about our friends that will latch on to the final score and will not have paid attention to how it got there. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I mean, I, I don't know that anybody uh, of reasonable mind, I know we're talking about the friends, I don't know that anybody of reasonable mind would, would make big picture, you know, history-defining decisions based on your results of, of one game or even your results against one singular opponent, even even if it's that singular opponent, and I, I get that's frustrating. But man, there's a a much 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 bigger picture 
uh, to look at than just that. Well, and we don't need a deep conversation on it. This is Mike Martin's last year, and unfortunately, we just spent five minutes talking about this instead of congratulating him for getting his 2,000th win over the weekend, which was pretty cool to see. We're uh, selfish like everybody else. E- even my son, who's only eight, when we got home, uh, he said, Dad, I want to save that ticket stub. And I thought, well, I'm uh, see, I'm I'm doing a good job, right, Keith? Going back to the, the, the fatherly uh, conversation we had from earlier in the show. No question, brother. No question. Tim, we'll let you go. We won't uh, belabor that point anymore. Uh, safe travels to Charlotte. I hope you don't make it back until uh, Sunday night, Saturday yeah, night. I, I, Saturday night. I haven't. I haven't adjusted to the fact that we play the championship on Saturday. Tim Linnefeld, our Seminoles.com insider. Okay, Keith, I'm not sure what uh, we haven't covered uh, yet, but whatever it is, we'll uncover it and then cover it in our last segment. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, thanks to our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefeld checking in as always. lot to report on Seminoles.com these days. The Track and field team of uh, Bob Brayman on the men's side finished in the top 10, not only the top 10, but tied for six last week at Nationals. Of course, if you listen to this show, we gave you a preview of that. Uh, so it looks like they're uh, back on track, pun intended, and they will be a, a, a contender for the outdoor national title, I think. Yeah, they are loaded with folks uh, to compete in events in the outdoor. It's yeah. going to be exciting. One of their one of their best sprinters was out, in fact, uh, last week. So they, they've got a good team there. They're back to... Maybe not quite at the level when they won three titles in a row, but but getting back in that conversation. The women's golf team won a tournament uh, by a lot, I think, earlier uh, this week. So congratulations there to, to Amy Bond and company. The softball team went out west and, and won a big series against a Pac-12 school. Even though they dropped their first two games of the year, uh, they're still humming right along. Women's basketball is waiting for uh, its selection show on Monday to find out where they play. And uh, baseball gets back into ACC play this weekend. All that said, really the focus is on Charlotte, where you are, Keith, in this ACC tournament. I think you bring up a good point. Uh, you know, a win, even though Florida State, what if they win 12 of their last 13? Is that what we're at right now? That's correct. So, uh, you know, even if it was a loss and you say 12 out of the last 14, that's still pretty good. But it does feel like if they can win one, in Charlotte, which gets you to the semifinals, that does make a, a better case, a stronger case to say, let's let's keep them close to home and put them in Jacksonville, which would be great for FSU if that's where they played. Uh, it would be amazing. And I think uh, given uh, what I've been led to believe is a good fan base that is in Charlotte, and obviously our alumni base in Jacksonville, it would make for a great, not necessarily a home court, but at least other than a neutral court, uh, given the presence of uh, the Seminole faithful that would be there. Do you know what's happening on August 22nd, Keith? August 22nd. August 22nd. I think I'm fixing to be enlightened. Please tell me. Uh, that was almost like we had a bad script that we worked on, which we didn't. We're just that bad when we have this conversation. That's the date the ACC Network launches, and I bring that up because for the first time I've seen an an FAQ distributed 
uh, at the university to answer uh, questions that, that folks may have. And I'm not going to go through that. But the, the bottom line is ESPN is using this week's ACC basketball tournament to promote the ACC network and its launch. So we're starting to see uh, commercials about what's coming. Uh, we're seeing media releases, including one yesterday that DirecTV is now on board with the ACC network. What we've not seen is is projections on what the revenue will be. And I don't think there's a accurate way to do that because, A, nobody is disclosing the terms of the deals with the carriers that have already signed, and, B, the number of carriers of this network is going to double or triple by the time of launch or by the time we get a few months into it. So I, the only thing I can think is that it will be more than what Florida State's getting right now from not having an ACC network. Well, <laughs> you're out on a limb on that one, aren't you? A big limb. Uh, I think, too, that what's going to be interesting to watch is the way the model is put together, which is, is a little different than the other conferences have done it. Uh, I'm going to be interested in see what the growth is in the first and the second and the third year because the model, for, for our listeners, in a simplistic way of saying it, the model is not necessarily tied, although you have to start with cable subscription and you have to start with DirecTV and, and DISH, but ultimately it's more tied to the scenario of Hulu or, or, or that type of thing where you're buying an individual subscription pardon me, and not part of a package through a cable box. And that whole dynamic is changing the way that it's being delivered for everybody, not just the ACC network. So it's going to be some pretty exciting times. And if if the model is put together properly, and of those that are far, far smarter than you and I uh, are talking about what's going to happen from a trend standpoint with the cord cutting and moving to the individual subscription base, uh, then it could be anywhere from very exciting to potentially lucrative the way the ACC network has it set up. Let me react to that momentarily. I'm not sure if ESPN is using Cornerstone Tool and Fastener to get the uh, network groundwork laid, but they should be. They should go ahead and call Ron and his knowledgeable staff uh, at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener for power tool needs and, and perhaps cable installation or over-the-top packages. A couple locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway online at ctf.nu that is cornerstone tool and fastener keith you're right I, I i don't know what the revenue projections look like in terms of the split with your more traditional cable system or carrier compared to the over the top i do know that in the release yesterday they indicated there's already deals in place with direct tv google fiber hulu live tv layer 3 tv optimum playstation view i guess it is uh sudden link verizon fios and i i know from previous accounts they had uh, altice which is up in new york new jersey area from a subscription standpoint so it'll be a moving target i i you know i don't know that it's going to be lucrative i do think it's going to do better than what the projections are remember you and i are two of the people who three and four years ago thought this would come to fruition when in the face of nobody saying it would come to fruition pretty much Agreed. Um, now what we don't know is the ultimate dollars. I will point out a couple things. The way they're doing this, so how are they getting deals done? Well, they're holding cable carriers hostage because they're going to whoever, Comcast and Tallahassee. I'm making this up because I don't know the specific deal here. And they're saying, oh, do you want ESPN? You want ESPN News? You want ESPN2? You want ESPN News? You, you, you want Disney Network? You want every other Disney thing? Then you got to take the ACC Network. So that's how they're forcing the hand to get people to sign. Uh, the other thing, just know that the way these deals work, and I'm talking in the cable model, 
take the state of North Carolina, for instance. That's in the ACC footprint, but not in the SEC footprint. So it may be that the ACC network gets a dollar per subscriber there, but the SEC network is bundled and they get 50 cents per subscriber. But when you go in South Carolina, which overlaps with both, those numbers may be reverse, i.e. the SEC network is going to benefit from this too because they are getting bundled in this whole pitch that ESPN is doing. Did that make sense? It does, but here's the other piece that we don't know. In those rest of the 50 states where you buy an individual subscription for $5 or $6 or $7, that entire amount goes to the ACC network. So in theory, if that's correct, you could have 10 million cable subscribers, but you only need... Three million individual subscribers to generate more income. Right, right, and that's, that's the that, part that we don't know how is it going to play out because we can't predict what the human factor is going to be about how people address that. That's what's going to be exciting and or scary or both as they roll it out. We're overstaying our welcome here, but you're right. And there was doom and gloom predictions that everybody was going to cut the cord because ESPN went from roughly 100 million subscribers down to about 87 million in three or four years, but that has leveled off now. I don't know where they might be at 85 or 84, but it's not, people are not cutting the cord at the same rate. So there is still going to be some large component that's the more traditional model than what the over the top is. And that is the million dollar question. Keith, be safe in Charlotte. Uh, Keep Gene out of trouble. And I will uh, see you on the other side. Okay, Tommy. Appreciate it. Folks, we'll be back next week. Thanks as always for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. Hey.